The first thing I want to do is to thank Father, Father Isaac for suggesting that our archdeaconry come together for this, this celebration of the Feast of the Annunciation. I believe that far, for far too many Christians, there has been a minimizing or even an outright dismissal of the role of Mary in our Christian development. This is a terrible habit because the life of Mary has much to teach us. And as the mother of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you certainly do a place of unique honor in our Christian lives. Therefore, it is a great privilege to bring you this evening a message that I pray will both inform you about Mary and in turn inform your lives as to how one might have a greater Christian life, having learned from Mary. Now let us turn our attention to our Gospel text from that first chapter of the Gospel according to St. Luke. Now I will tell you up front that I like the way Luke writes. Because I like details. I want to know what's going on and why. And Luke makes sure that the reader has what he or she needs to understand the context of the text. This is because Luke was writing specifically for the purpose of giving a detailed account of the life of Christ for Theophilus. And that name translates to friend of God. We know that he was doing this for this reason because that's exactly what Luke tells us at the very start of his accounting of the gospel. He writes, it seemed good to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty, certainty concerning the things you have been taught. When we understand this about Luke, That he writes so that the friend of God can be certain of what has been taught. Then we understand why he provides such great detail in his stories. Starting with the comment, in the sixth month. Now the immediately preceding story is about the pregnancy of Elizabeth, a relative of Mary, who will soon give birth to John, who will grow up to be John the Baptist. In the sixth month, therefore, means the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, not what we now know as the month of June. Just want to make sure that that's clear. And so did Luke. He goes on to say the angel Gabriel. So in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel. He is one of the few named angels in our scripture text. He is the one who brought the news of Elizabeth's pregnancy to her husband, Zechariah, while he was serving as the priest in the Holy of Holies in the temple. Gabriel, sent by God to Nazareth in Galilee to a virgin named Mary of the line of David. One fact after another fact after another fact. Luke ensures the inclusion of all of these points so that the story which unfolds before the reader, well, that reader will be aware that this story is covering all the important points as to the origin of the Messiah. He has 
checked all the boxes, so to speak. Just a few of the many examples from Galilee directly reflected Isaiah chapter 9, born of a virgin, Isaiah chapter 7, in the line of David, Isaiah chapter 16. Only a few examples there, but you get the point. Luke spends the first two verses of this narrative packing in all the critical details. Details that will make the rest of the story make sense. Details that affirm the rightness of the story of the impending birth of the long-awaited Messiah. Then, with this context established, with all the background information rightly understood, we get transported into the scene just in time for the action. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. In other translations, we find this translated as, The angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. That would be the King James. And the blessed art thou among women, in case you're wondering, that's found in some manuscripts, not the others. So in certain translations today, it's included. In others, it is not. Or we have the angel coming in and saying, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. That's the Dewey Rames translation. Or the the angel came in to her and said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. In the Revised Standard Version. It really doesn't matter which of these translations you prefer or which one is being used. Whether we are looking at the term, the word, which is actually a compound, it would be a phrase. It's a single word in the Greek, but it's a phrase in English. Whether it's favored or full of grace, the Greek word or term in question is a verb. It's kechotomene. My pronunciation is terrible, so forgive me. But a nice, large, compound word which literally means Having been graced. Having been graced. You can tell from that literal translation that it's a passive verb. It is something that was done unto Mary. More specifically, in our setting, God has filled Mary with grace. The verb is also a perfect verb, meaning that it is a completed action with ongoing or perpetual effect. Meaning it has happened, but yet at the same time it's happening and it continues to happen. For another example of this type of verb, we have in Paul's epistle to the Galatians in the second chapter in the 20th verse. Now we read, if we were to read that in the English Standard Version, a very good translation I like a lot, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. Whereas in the authorized or King James Version, also an excellent translation. One translation better in some areas, the other translation better in different areas. Can't say that one is better than the other. But in the King James Version, that same passage is translated, I am crucified with Christ. 
In this case, it is the authorized version, the King James Version, that is the better translation because it is a perfect verb that Paul is using. We're reading about a state of being that is continual or perpetual. The true that the crucifixion happened, but its effect never stops happening. Thereby, the conquering of all sins, past, present, and future, the crucifixion, as Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, it is perfect. This is what we're trying to get across in this hail, O favored one, or hail, full of grace. It is a perpetual action. It happened, but it has constant effect. It is perfect. With that understanding, let us turn back to Mary in the Annunciation. The angel Gabriel greets her, saying, Greetings, or hail, and then he goes on to say, blessed, excuse me, based on the meaning of the verb, can't read my own notes, I apologize. He goes on to say, and keeping in mind the meaning of the verb, you who have been filled with grace, you who are filled with grace, you who are being filled with grace, who will remain filled with grace. And so that there is no mistake about it, the angel says, the Lord is with you. The angel Gabriel is not speaking a simple word of salutation like we have in our liturgy. The Lord be with you, to which we respond, and with thy spirit. That is actually a prayer of petition that we say. What we want is for the Lord to be with the other. And it is a reciprocal prayer in the response. Yes, I want the Lord to be with me and with you and with your spirit, depending on the liturgy and the context of the call and the response. What we have here, though, is not simply that prayer of petition, that desire for an effect. What we have in the case of the Annunciation is that the angel Gabriel speaks In that perfect tense we've already talked about, the Lord is with Mary. This is a statement of ongoing fact. The Lord has joined himself to Mary in a perpetual way. The Lord is with Mary and remains with Mary. This is important. I ask that you keep this in mind as we work through the rest of the text. God graced Mary in such a way that she is perpetually filled with grace. And God is with Mary in a way that is a perpetual abiding with her. We need to know this because the very next thing we learn is that Mary is troubled by what she heard. She understood what the angel Gabriel was saying. She speaks the language. She knows all about the tense. She knows that it is perfect what he is saying. Therefore, something really big is going on here. Not some passing moment, but something that is going to encompass all of her life. 
And then Gabriel tells her, Mary, you will bear the Son of God. Now, that's big news. This is why Gabriel had to tell Mary the way that he told Mary that she had been filled with a special permanent grace and that God is always with her. Imagine, imagine if she had not been given these assurances prior to that bit about becoming pregnant. Imagine if she would have heard it the way I have in my many interactions with Christians of different churches, churches which make a point of minimizing the person and the role of Mary in the Christian life, those who would make the passage out to say this instead. Imagine if Gabriel would have said, well, hello, Mary, I'm here to tell you that God has picked you out for a unique privilege in the caring and the giving birth to his son. But don't get too excited. Because as soon as you give birth to God's son, you will revert to being just another Jewish girl. It sure is a good thing that you're about to be married to a faithful guy, that Joseph is wonderful. Otherwise, you'd be cast aside as an unwed mother, maybe even stoned to death for your assumed youthful dalliance. Have a great day. I'll catch you later. If that were the case, Mary's response would be much more troubled than it was after Gabriel told her that she was about to be pregnant. We can be sure that Gabriel would have gotten a real earful in response rather than the simple question, how will this be since I am still a virgin? Troubled, yes, but steadfast in the assurances that she has already received from Gabriel, she could answer, how will this be since I am still a virgin? In reply, Gabriel gives her the explanation that she needs. The Holy Spirit will cause the pregnancy. This pregnancy will therefore be a miraculous act of God. Your virginity will be preserved. And in this way, you will bear a son who is the very son of God. Gabriel further affirms the power of God to the cause pregnancy by revealing to Mary that her relative Elizabeth is in the sixth month, just in case you didn't catch it the first time, in the sixth month of her pregnancy, even though she had been barren all the way into her old age, when it would have been impossible for any woman to ever become pregnant. Then, to put that final point on his message, for nothing is impossible with God. How could Mary have accepted or understood any of that had it not been for the upfront assurances that Gabriel gave her. Mary, you have been filled with grace. You are filled with grace. You will remain filled with grace. The Lord is with you. With these assurances from the angel Gabriel, Mary, even though troubled by what he said, was still able 
to calmly reply, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Listen to that again. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now then, no sermon should be used just to teach. Honestly, it shouldn't be used to teach at all. It's a whole different term in the Greek, Didache versus um, Kerygma, but that's another sermon. And no sermon should be used just to convey a bit of information here or there. A sermon's purpose is to encourage and exhort the listener to action. To become a Christian, if the listener is not already a Christian, or to be a better Christian, if the person already is a Christian. If that is the case, why did we dwell so long on the words spoken to Mary. Well, at the start of this message, I mentioned that it's my intention for us to each to learn more about Mary, and in learning more about her, learn from her, to learn from Mary. We now know that Mary, even when troubled, even when looking at something that seemed impossible or unbearable, was able to say, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Because of her being filled with the grace of God's constant presence with her. Excuse me, being filled with grace and God's constant presence with her. Mary was able to provide her faithful response and act accordingly. But how does any of that apply to us, you and me, and any other Christian anywhere else in the world? How does it apply to we Christians here today? And quite simply, it is in our baptism. Christians, you have been baptized according to the command of Jesus the Son of Mary, the Son of God, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And those who have heard this baptismal formula given to us by Jesus Himself in the English, though we've heard it in the English, countless times in our lives, often fail to realize what is being said. Hearing that little bit at the front, in the name of, we think of the idea of authority granted. I, as a priest in Christ's church, have the authority, in the name of God, to baptize. Well, that is a true statement. It is an accurate statement. But it is a completely inadequate statement. It is inadequate because the word used by Jesus in the Great Commission, in the Greek, is the word ice. Not like making your drinks colder. E-I-S. Ice. Which means in. But it means much more than in. It means into. 
If Jesus only wanted to convey the concept of speaking with God's authority or speaking in God's name, then Jesus would have used the simpler Greek word en, E-N, which is also a word for in. He would have used that instead of ice, which conveys into. By using ice, Jesus is telling us that in the sacrament of baptism, you are baptized into the Father, into the Son, and into the Holy Spirit. Your baptism makes you a member incorporated into the family of God. You are an adopted child and heir to God's kingdom. You are a recipient of God's grace that makes you fully His. You have been baptized. You therefore are graced by God. Then Jesus says in that baptismal commission that He gave there before His ascension, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Sounds familiar? You are graced and the Lord is with you. You are graced and the Lord is with you. That is the promise. That is the reality of your baptism. Knowing this, we must ask, what is it that God is calling you to do? What is it that God expects you to do for Him? What is it that you've been troubled over? Not sure how to respond. Surely, whatever it is, it is not more challenging. Surely, it is not more unbelievable. Surely, it is not more life-upending disruptive than being a young, pregnant, unwed virgin in the ancient Near East. Learn from Mary, you who have been baptized, you who have been graced, you who the Lord is with. Learn from Mary. Learn her response. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Amen.